Let me say that uh, I don't consider myself a, an accomplished storyteller, but uh, I do recognize the importance of stories. In fact, one of the things that uh, First Nations people, the, the Indian people that we work with in Northwest Ontario, one of the things they taught me was the importance of storytelling. And, uh, and so uh, I used to tell new missionaries as they come on the field uh, that uh, they need to learn to tell stories because Indian people, even like the rest of us, are graphic functional, which means we learn by story and illustration best of all. And so uh, I, I used to tell them they need to learn to tell stories. And one of the best ways to, to know when you have accomplished the skill of storytelling is when you is to gather together a bunch of First Nations Native Indian children and, 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 and start telling them a story. And once you have uh, so captured them with your story that they stop wiggling, you for you're an accomplished storyteller. <laughs> so, uh, yes. Uh, so the importance of, uh, of storytelling. Well, um, this this morning. Oh, where where are all the children? Uh, let's see your hands. All the children. Where? Oh, yes. Uh, some of you might have a hard time seeing me, but uh, it's good to know you're there. Okay. Well, uh, I'm going to let you stay right where you are. Uh, there's one, two, three seats up here, and one here. If anybody wants to come up, but uh, so uh, uh, three or four. But it's okay. You can stay where you are. I think I can talk loud enough that that you. Uh, that that you okay there. And, and all the way back there, uh, there's three more seats up here. Yeah, it, it, it'll be good for me to at least have. Yes, come on, uh, over here. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, somebody help me out. <laughs> uh, so, um, okay, very good. Um, over, over here. Oh, you're going to share? Are you going to be all right there? Okay. Well, that, that looks pretty precarious, but I think you can do it. <laughs> okay. Very good. All right. Uh, well, I, uh, I, I'd, like to, uh, I'd like to tell stories to children because uh, uh, children are so receptive, and uh, you can always tell when, uh, when they get into your story. So uh, the, the first story I'd like to tell you this morning um, is, uh, is about a man who, uh, who lived in a man who lived in a, in a hard house, uh, something like this. Uh, this hard house was a nice little house, and this is an allegory, uh, which, uh, which means it's, a, it's, a, it's sort of a made-up story, but, but it, it has a, a special meaning, it has a a special purpose for it. And so uh, this man lived in uh, a heart, a house that was shaped like a heart. It had a window, a door, and a front porch 
on him and wish he could sit on a summer evening and enjoy the, the nice summer evening. But this man lived by himself in, in his heart house, uh, in, the, in the house that was shaped like a heart. Uh, so, um, well, on, on one summer evening, when he was sitting on the front porch of his heart house, uh, he, uh, he saw a man walking by outside of his, his heart house. And uh, this man that came walking by, he, uh, he, uh, he looked uh, a little bit like this. Uh, he was disguised. He had uh, dark glasses on, and, and, uh, as, as, uh, and he didn't know who he was, but as he came walking by, this, this man, this tramp uh, that, that uh, came walking by, was uh, stopped and said, uh, Sir, can I, can I stay with you in your heart house tonight, please? And the owner of the heart house didn't respond right away, so he, so he said, this tramp said, he said, please, could I just stay in one little corner of your heart house? The man, uh, the owner of the heart house, uh, really wasn't sure if he wanted to let this man into his heart house, but the, the man looked so, uh, he fled so, and finally the owner of the heart house uh, let him come into his house and stay in his heart house for the night. Well, the next morning he discovered that the name of the man who was staying in his heart house was Mr. Sin. And, uh, and so um, he, uh, he, and, and so the Mr. Sin, because he had come into his heart house and stayed there one night, uh, came back the next day, the next night also, and, uh, and, and the owner of the heart house could not make him stay out, outside of the heart house. So he just came right into his heart house uh, as he was invited the first night, and not only did he come in, but he brought another um, a man, uh, another tramp with him, and, and his name was Mr. Selfishness, and he looked something like that. Um, and, and so, uh, now, uh, Mr. Sin and Mr. Selfishness were not easy to live with. And uh, they were very demanding. So, uh, the, uh, the owner of the hard house was not very happy about Mr. Sin and Mr. Selfishness coming into his hard house and staying there. But the thing was, he couldn't make them stay out. Uh, and uh, he, uh, and so uh, the, the very next evening, um, Mr. Sin and Mr. Selfishness brought three more of their friends with, uh, with him, and the, the, the name of the one friend was Mr. Chalice. And the name of the other friend was, uh, was Mr. Tate. Um, was Mr. Meanness? Does he look like that? And 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 um, and also um, Mr. Hates. And uh, and so these five friends uh, lived in the heart house with uh, with the owner of the heart house. 
not only did they live in there with him, but uh, they, uh, they, 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 they made it so that the owner of the hard house finally had only one little corner that he could stay in because they took over the, uh, the, the, the hard house. And not only that, they never took a bath. Imagine what it's like to live with someone who never took a bath. Now, the owner of the hard house didn't like to have these cramps in his hard house, but he couldn't get them to leave. He would say to them, Get out! But they wouldn't leave. And he, he, didn't have, he wasn't strong enough to make them leave his hard house. So the owner of the hard house became very sad. Sat in his little corner. And thought about how things used to be years gone by. You know, that's what people do when they're, when they're sad. They start thinking of when there were better days in the past. So he sat in his hard house and thought about how it used to be when he himself was in his hard house alone. Uh, and, and, and Mr. Sin and Mr. Selfishness and, and Mr. Hate and, and, and all these friends weren't in his hard house. But, but the thing was, as I said, he couldn't get Mr. Mr. Sin and his friends, the tramps, to leave his heart house. So he went to all of his neighbors, to his neighbors, and asked them if they knew to, uh, how to get rid of these tramps in his heart house. They didn't know how to get rid of the tramps in his heart house. He looked in all of his books to see if he could find out how, how to get Mr. Tramp and uh, Mr. Sin, Mr. Selfishness, to, to, to leave his heart house. But he couldn't find a way to have these, get these tramps to leave his heart house. So one day he was thinking about when he was a, a little boy back home, and he started thinking about, um, about Sunday school, how he used to go to Sunday school. And, uh, and then he thought about some verses that uh, in, 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 uh, from, from the scriptures that uh, talked about uh, his heart house and, his, and, 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 and how that uh, he could uh, be cleansed from sin. And he remembered how Jesus said one time, or that how John said one time in John chapter 1, when he said that Jesus came into the world, and the world knew him not, a world that he had made, they knew him not. He came to his very own people, and they received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave him power to become the sons of God even to those that believe in his name. Suddenly the owner of the heart house realized what he needed to do to, to uh, have the, these tramps that had taken over his house, what he needed to do to get rid of these tramps. And so he, he sat there in his little corner of the heart house 
and he decided to let Jesus into his heart house. And he, and he prayed. And this is what he prayed. Into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And you know what? Jesus really did come into the his heart house. And you know another thing? When Jesus comes into the heart house, the friends have to leave because they could not stay in the same When you let sin into your life, it's not really easy to get rid of it. But when you let Jesus into your heart house, then the trance of sin has to go. to tell you uh, what was the favorite story of my children when they were little. Um, and this, this story is about what happened to me when I was about five years old. And uh, uh, let, me, let me tell you where it happened, when it happened, and how it happened. Well, it happened in uh, Holmes County, Ohio, uh, on, on a little farm between Walnut Creek, Ohio, and Trail, Ohio. As, as you go from Walnut Creek to Trail on this windy, hilly road, you come to the top of the hill, and then you go down to the bottom of the hill, and then it goes up to the next hill. And, and on, on the bottom of that hill is where the laneway went in, back into a, 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 a house and a barn, a homestead, where we had we lived. Oh, and, and something happened one day. Uh, when my oldest brother, who was about 17 or 18 years old, was up on top of this first hill, I don't know what he was doing, maybe he was fixing a fence, and my two brothers next to me, his name was Eli and Amy, were up there with him. And, and then a milk truck came along, a flatbed truck came along, and stopped there on top of the, the hill to pick up uh, uh, 
the, the milk cans that the neighbors brought out to the end of the lane right there. And, uh, and so he stopped there and picked up the, the milk cans and put it on his flatbed truck. And then before he, he, uh, he left, um, my brother Eli and Amy thought that uh, they'll catch a ride on top of this truck uh, to the bottom of the hill because they thought that, that he was going to stop there and pick up our milk. And so they, they, they sort of got made themselves on the back of the flatbed truck and hung on after the flatbed truck took off from the top of the hill. And, and instead of stopping at the bottom of the hill, he, he picked up speed to make the next hill. And so he was probably going about 45 miles an hour. And uh, my brother Eli, who was probably about uh, 9 or 10 years old, and my brother Andy, who was about 11 or 12 years old. Anybody that old here? Huh? You are? Okay. Well, they, they didn't know what to do. So, so they thought what they would do is just slide off of the truck as it went by our lane. And so when, it, when, it, when the truck came right by our lane, they just sort of pushed off. And they didn't know what was going to happen. But they just sort of pushed off. And uh, my brother Eli, because he was a little bit rolling at home, I mean, he was a little bit chubby, okay, you know what I mean? Uh, he, it, was, it was a gravel road, and so when he pushed off and hit the gravel like that, he just sort of rolled. And he didn't get hurt very much. Well, he, he hurt, but it wasn't serious. But my brother Andy, who was very skinny, when he pushed off and hit the gravel, he scooted like this. And uh, I remember, I still remember, I can see in my mind, when my brother Emmanuel came walking into the lane, carrying my brother Andy in his arms, and blood was running out of his ears and out of his nose. He because he had a bad concussion, among other things. Well, I just had to add that little detail. Uh, to, to make it a little bit more interesting. But it was on that farm that uh, when I was about five years old, in about 1944, you don't know, you can't imagine how far back that goes. That was during the Second World War. But, but uh, it was on that farm, now it's called Yoder's Forest Farm, but it's on that farm that uh, uh, we, had, we had a barn full of animals, cows, horses, you know, lots of different animals. And, and one, of the, one of the animals we had in that barn, in a certain box stall, uh, it was a section where it divided off and had, had uh, the little fence up around this little stall, a wooden, a wooden fence uh, that they couldn't get out. Was, uh, were, was a huge pig. I mean, I mean, he was big and he was dirty. And I was deathly afraid of this little pig. And because I thought that pigs like that eat little boys. 
So I was deathly afraid. I had fear of this little pig. Well, um, one one day, my sister Clara and I, who was two years older than I, were, were uh, up in the, uh, the hay mow of this barn, and we were playing around. I, I don't even remember what we were playing, but we were playing around the hay mow. It was uh, early summer, and, and uh, the hay was all gone, and so it was big and open, and so we were just playing around up there in the hay mow. But, but the thing was, on one side of that hay mow was, was a square hole about this square. And uh, for some reason, I didn't see it. Maybe it was partially covered with old straw or hay. I don't know, but I didn't see it. But uh, as my sister and I were playing around in there, I wasn't watching where I was going. And suddenly, I hit that hole. And, and I started flying like all of us. I went, I went flying straight down through that hole. And guess what? Guess where I landed? Right on top of that huge pig. In fact, I actually straddled that that huge pig, and I was, I, you know, I was so scared. Immediately, I, I knew that he was going to get me. And so, when I straddled that huge pig, the moment I hit, I was off that pig, up over the little fence. In a way where you can be there. Well, like I, like I said, that was one of the favorite stories that my children like to hear. Especially my, our youngest daughter, Marcia, when she was quite little, maybe four or five years old. One day she said, Daddy, tell me a story, the story, the story of when you were a little pig. She got it all mixed up. But that's the story when I was a little pig, or almost eaten by a little pig, I thought. Now, I'd like to tell you another story. Um, it's, it's, it's the story of a little boy who tried to sharpen a pencil. I, uh, I first heard this story when I was uh, in the country of El Salvador, which is a Central American country back in 1964. And uh, one of my fellow workers and I were traveling with an old Baptist missionary who was going back into the, way back into the, uh, the hinder parts of El Salvador, uh, sort of the, what the Australians would call the outback. But he was going back into the, the hinder parts of El Salvador to little Baptist churches, and he was preaching. And uh, one day, just before the service, I saw this old Baptist preacher walk out the door and stand there and, and, and look at this 
sky while and he was thinking. And the service had started, and when he came back in, he told this story that I'm going to tell you. So it was his story. But it's a good story. Because there was, there was a little boy who I, who I, whose name is, was Jimmy. I'm going to call him Jimmy so that we can remember. This little boy was six years old, and he was just starting school. And he had never been to school before, so his mother helped him get ready for school that morning, gave him his breakfast, and, and made sure he had his, uh, his, his pencil and paper, and to make sure that he uh, got on his, his coat and uh, to go out to go to school that morning. As he, and, and before he walked out the door, uh, his mother said to to the little Jimmy, now I gave you that pencil. It's a brand new pencil. It's your pencil, and you're to take it to school, and you're to uh, to use it to do your school. So little Jimmy went off to school that morning with his brand new pencil. He never had a brand new pencil before in his life, but he had this brand new pencil. And so uh, uh, when he got to school and and school uh, started, uh, uh, and, uh, and the uh, students were put in their graves. And, uh, and, and, and the first grade students of, in, in which uh, little Jimmy was uh, in, in uh, he, was, he was in the first grade, uh, had their first class. And the, the teacher was instructing them uh, some of the things about what they should do in school, and uh, said that they would uh, that he would uh, they would need to have paper and pencil to do their schoolwork. And so, uh, but so Jimmy, but Jimmy had his, his pencil. It was a brand new pencil, and um, and and the teacher saw that he had a brand new pencil. So uh, the teacher said to Jimmy, said, you want me to sharpen your pencil for you? And Jimmy looked at his brand new pencil. And though Jimmy had never sharpened his pencil before in his life, he said, no, I'm going to sharpen my own pencil. This is my pencil. My mama gave it to me. And and so, but, but the thing was that, uh, that Jimmy had never sharpened a pencil before in his life. And so, um, and they didn't, have, uh, they didn't have pencil sharpeners like you do today. Now, I don't know. You probably have these most modern pencil sharpeners where you stick it in and go, and it's sharp, right? Or when I went to school, we had this kind of pencil sharpener. We stuck it in and went yum 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 yum, and then finally got sharp. But they didn't have any pencil sharpeners back in the day. The way they sharpened the pencil was with a pocket knife. So Jimmy, little Jimmy, reached into his pocket and pulled out his pocket knife, and he began to sharpen his pencil. And even and, and 
because he, he never had sharpened the pencil before in his life, he really didn't know how to do it. But he decided he was going to sharpen his own pencil. So he began to sharpen his pencil. And uh, as he was sharpening his pencil, he was muttering to himself, well, this is not a pencil my mother gave it to me. And nobody's going to tell me what to do with my pencil. I'm going to sharpen my own pencil. Uh, this, is, this is my pencil. This is my very own pencil. And nobody can tell me what to do with my very own pencil. My mother gave it to me, and she said that that, that was my pencil. And so I'm going to sharpen my own pencil. Even though he had never sharpened his pencil before in his life, he kept coming away with it. And so as he said, Mother, this is my pencil. Nobody's going to tell me what to do with my pencil. I'm going to, I'm going to sharpen my own pencil. And so uh, he, he kept working at sharpening his pencil. And suddenly, Jimmy realized that his pencil was almost gone. And so he sat there, and in that pencil was that was brand new, and now almost gone. And so he sat there and looked at his teacher and said, "Teacher, will you sharpen my pencil for me?" And so the teacher, because he had sharpened the pencil, started sharpening the pencil. And little by little, the pencil was sharpened. And the reason he could do it is he knew how to sharpen the pencil. Because he had done it many times in his life. And he gave this little pencil back to Jimmy. And you know what? He, he could use this little stub of a pencil at least for a couple of days. But don't you think it would have been better if Jimmy would have said to the teacher when he was alone, Yes, you sharpened my pencil for me. Right? Would that have been better? You know, this reminds us, this reminds me of, uh, of a verse that is found in the book of Ecclesiastes. And, and there, this, uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, uh, it tells us what we should do before we get old. You know, before your eyes can't see, you need glasses. Before you can't hear, I need hearing aids. Or before your hair gets white, uh, like an almond tree that's blossoming. Long before that, he said, this is what you should do. He said, you should remember God. Before these things happened, happened. In other words, let God 
And uh, and this story is about uh, is out is about a little dog. His name was Bozo. Uh, somebody came uh, to our house when we were living in, in Canada one day with a little dog. They were friends of ours, and they came to our house and uh, thought we needed a little dog. And so he. They dropped his little dog off at our house. He was a cute little puppy. Uh, he was, I don't know what kind, what, what kind of dog he was. We thought he was a Heinz 57 kind of dog. You mean, you see, he was a dog that was all, that was a mixture of many other kinds of dogs. But he was about, about this tall. He was black and white and had the cutest little face because one eye was covered uh, black, with his black hair, and the other was covered with his white hair. But his name was Bozo, and, and Bozo became a special part of our family. Now, um, my wife uh, thought she'd never let a dog into our house. But, but uh, Bozo was so cute, and the children liked Bozo so much that uh, my dear wife finally gave up and let the dog into the house. So Bozo was a very special, a very special part of our of our family. But uh, one day, one early one spring day, early summer morning, and I decided that I was going to go about two miles down the road to, to get something with with a tractor and a trailer, with an old eight-in uh, Ford tractor and with an old trailer behind it. And so, uh, so I, I left with uh, my tractor and trailer, went out the lane and down the road, and then I had to go across like this for a mile and a half to, to where I wanted to pick up what, the, what I was going to get. And um, as I was going from this crossroad over, there was an open field there, I saw a bosom coming. I mean, he was just humping along. He was just running as hard as he could run to catch up with me. I tried him to get tried to get him to go home, but he wouldn't listen to me. He he wanted to come with me. So I just kept on going finally and, and he comes running along behind, just uh, tongue hanging out and, and uh, you know, and just running as hard as he could to keep up with me and the tractor and, and the little trailer. And so finally um, but we I got close to the place where I wanted to drive in to pick up what I wanted there. And uh, as I drove by here, there was a house sitting there. 
and then uh, coming from the house, running out toward the road, was a huge dog. I mean, he was big. I mean, <laughs> and, and I just knew, and, and, and Bozo was uh, running right behind me as fast as he could, and I just knew that Bozo was going to get ate. He was going to get eaten up by this huge dog. So he come out there really gruff and barking, and, and he come out there right, right up to Bozo, and suddenly he's not a stop, and they sniff noses and became friends. And and then so uh, I I tried to get Bozo then to come with me to go in and pick up what I want to pick up. He wouldn't leave. He liked his big friends, and, and so uh, he stayed there, and I went in and and. Uh, I, I got what I came for, and when I came back out the lane and up the road, and there was Bozo and his big friend just having a great old time. And I tried to get Bozo to come with me to go home. But you know what? He wouldn't come. He was stopping. And, and, and uh, you know, I, I tried to catch him. And even pick him up and put him on my lap and, and come up and go home. But I couldn't catch him. He was faster than I was, even though I was quite a young man at that time, and I was pretty quick. So finally, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. So finally, the light bulb went on up here, and I decided that I was going to go home and get something. And you know what I was going to get? A fish net. It was a bigger fishing net than this. It had a handle maybe twice as long as this and had maybe a net that was twice as big as this. But I decided to go home and get my fish net and go back and catch Bolsa and bring him home. Well, by that time, my daughters uh, got interested in what was going on. So they came with me in the car. So when they went back there and they're still in. Right by that big house, there, there was Bozo and his big friends just, you know, playing around and running around and, and, and enjoying each other. So I stepped out of the car and I stood there and called Bozo. Well, Bozo came running toward me, but you know what he did? When he came close to me, he came running right from me like this. But when he got about there, he quickly dodged right around here. And then I turned around and he was out there and he came running. And he come quickly, he come running real fast. Then he dodged right around this way. He was, he was close enough that I couldn't catch him with my hands. But what he didn't know is that I had a net in my hands. So I let him do this a couple of times. And, and so one time I watched Bozo coming just as fast as he could go. And he comes to about right there, and he quickly wants to stamp out around this side of me, and I just went like this. And I had Bozo in my nest. There he, there he was with his feet sticking out of the nest, and had this strange look in his face that said, Okay, you got me this time. I think the last time I was here, I told you a story about rat trapping. And uh, the lesson of that story was that you should eschew evil. 
You remember that? Some of you remember that? Okay. Uh, I don't know a few of you. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> that's the same lesson I want you to remember about this story. To assume evil, or as evil. I don't even know for sure how to say it. It's an old English word. It's true evil. You want to try? It's true evil. Okay, everybody. Adults too. It's true evil. Well, what does it mean? Remember? It means to stay away from something. Thank you. 